we're continuing a preaching series. We started this series called Finding Your Voice, a study through your favorite psalms. Your favorite psalms, not my favorite, your favorite. And each Sunday we've been preaching through a psalm that has been uh, requested by somebody. Today there is somebody here that's asked for Psalm 40 to be preached. Next Sunday, Psalm 23. And uh, so this service is dedicated to you, to whoever that person is. And I think everybody's going to be edified. Just to give you a quick recap, when we started this series, we talked about how to ascend. When we preached from the Psalm of Ascent, the physical, uh, the physical sensation, the physical act of coming out, coming into a public place, coming, even putting a smile on our faces every Sunday morning. This is a necessary physical act of ascent. It's a good thing. And then after that, we talked about finding your voice in worship. That when you hear those words, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and you internalize that deeply and profoundly, you can't help but to burst out in song. It's like a Broadway musical, right? He really loves me. And all of a sudden, you're on top of a mountain and you're singing. That's what that thing about finding your voice, that's how we find our voice. Today, we're going to talk about how to worship, how to be real in worship how to find our voice and how to be real in worship is what we're going to focus on today. And if you can turn to your Bibles or look on the screen or in your bulletin, Psalm chapter 40. And we're going to go through Psalm chapter 40 in its entirety. Psalm chapter 40 in its entirety as we talk along three headings. And so I'm going to make my way verse by verse through number one, finding a new song, finding a new song. Number two, how to worship. And number three, how to be real in worship. Those are our three headings for this morning. Finding a new song, how to worship, how to be real in worship. And we begin with that first heading, finding your new song. How do you find your new song? Look with me at Psalm chapter 40 and the first five verses. Just like that song we sang prior to this from you 2 I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to hear, he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. The word inclined can be translated stretched out. God stretched out to hear me, to, to reach me. Sometimes some of us think, have a, a notion of a God as passive, a God that's uninvolved in human events, who just kind of is reclined. But the word here, inclined, you have an active, involved God. Where is God? He's, he's, he's there. He's there. We just have to look for him. It reminds me of the painting, I think it's in the Sistine Chapel, of the creation of Adam. It's a famous painting. You've seen the fingers, the two fingers touching each other? It, we've seen the fingers touch, you know, the, they're just about to touch each other like this. But when you pull back and you see the whole picture, the whole painting, what you see is literally God stretching out, stretching out, and then you see Adam lazily recline like this like yeah dude you want to touch my finger don't you and God really reaching out and stretching out this is theologically correct the posture of God is he is involved he is stretching out oftentimes um, you know we are the ones that are reclined so that word there incline it can be me it can be translated stretched out and heard my cry in verse 2 God brought me up out of the pit of destruction Anybody reading from an NIV today? An alternative translation there? It says slimy pit. 
He brought me up out of a slimy pit. It sounds gross, but it makes sense. If you're in a slimy pit, you're not going to have much luck getting out, are you? It's a pit of destruction. And it continues on in verse, in verse 2. He, put a, he, put, he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done, and your thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. The first five verses of Psalm 40. You know, last week, as I was trying to explain the power of those words, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, or you are fearfully wonderful, or you are fearfully set apart, but that sense of you are fearfully wonderful. This, this when you internalize that, as I said, it has a way of, 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 of uh, making you realize you're somebody's favorite, that you're loved, that you're beloved. The new song comes from this when we realize. And in the same way, David has a realization. Three things, I believe, that you'll see in your notes. Three things that David realizes that all of a sudden it's almost like causes him to burst out into song. And the three things David realizes that causes him to have a, a new song, this new awakening, this new understanding, the first thing is God's posture. God's posture to me. When it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, what David has come to understand through this experiential furnace is if I wait and if I sit still and I will, however long it takes, let God do his thing, God will come through. God will come through. Now, waiting is difficult for all of us, not just because of, you know, devices like this or because we're raised in this generation. It's just difficult to wait. Moses had to wait in the wilderness for 40 years. In many ways, when I lived on the West Coast, I lived there for 11 years, and I felt like it was 11 years of waiting. Well, what do you do? Do you lay down and die? Do you give up? But we wait. And what David is saying is, I waited. However long it was, I waited and waited. But you know what? In the end, God came through. The waiting was fulfilled. I waited. I finally got the job I needed. I waited. The results that I was looking for came in. I waited. Things turned around. I waited. While things were difficult, they got better. The adage goes like this. The tide goes out. And we're sometimes standing on the seashore waiting when my tide will come back in. When my chance will be back. But the adage is the tide goes out, but it will come back. It will come back. And David realized the tide does come back. Standing on the shore, on the shore having realized God comes around. The second thing David realized, and he has this revelation, you know, as I was waiting and waiting and waiting upon the Lord, I waited patiently. During those times, I could have cut corners. I could have maybe sped up the process. This is something that I really relate to. Maybe if I do some things and try to put the ball into motion or help God do what God's supposed to do, maybe if I can cheat a little bit, 
It'll speed up the process. But what David realized was, -uh. no. Better to keep your integrity, better not to compromise, and to sit tight and let God be the one to deliver. That's what he says in verse 4. Blessed is the man who's made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud, nor to those who lapse into falsehood. In other words, blessed are you if during your waiting you don't sell out, you don't cheat, you don't compromise. Hold on, and God will vindicate. And that second thing that David learned is ethics, really, I think. Ethics still stand. That when we're hard-pressed, we want to... We want, to, we want to compromise on our ethics. And in the end, he's saying, no, no, no. If you have a, 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 a solid moral character, it will pay off. The third, thing that, the third thing that David realized is God's nature is still unfathomable. Still unfathomable. As it says in verse 5, Many, O Lord, are the wonders which you have done. They're too numerous to count. There's a, a kid's movie that just came out this weekend. Um, I think, is it called Inside Out? Is that right? Inside Out. It's about a kid's brain, I think. I, I haven't seen it. And the five emotions. The five emotions are personified. And those five emotions are recognized by psychologists as the universal five emotions that every human being on this planet has. And I was listening to NPR, and they're saying, actually, there's a few more emotions, you know, aside from anger or fear or whatever. There's also an emotion of surprise that across all cultures... Whatever language you speak, every human being experiences surprise. If there is one emotion, I think, that should be intimately connected with the experience of Christian religion, I believe it is the emotion of surprise. If there is one emotion, I'll say that again, that should be intimately connected with the Christian faith, it is surprise. Why? Because what David says here is God's wonders, they're too numerous um, let me get this right. Your thoughts, he says in verse 5, the wonders which you have done, many are your wonders. None to compare. If I would declare, they'd be too numerous. What he's saying is, there was a point where I thought I had God figured out, I had church figured out, I had religion, the Christian faith, and I was so disillusioned. I was so disillusioned with church. I was so disillusioned with religion. And it came to a point where I was like, why do I even believe anymore? Why do I even go to that place anymore? Why do I even pray anymore? But what David says is, as I waited and as I patiently, <clears throat> as I patiently waited, I saw that God was even bigger than I thought. That I cornered the market on my understanding of God, but God lives not within that box. He lives on the outside. God doesn't live within the circles of our understanding. He lives on the outside. This is the, this is, this is the, the, the metaphysical attribute of a God that is beyond human understanding. What does that translate to? That means if your faith, do you feel like your faith is in a place where it's kind of in a, in a, in a disillusionment state? Hang on. God has to surprise you. It's just His nature. God comes through, he'll show you there's more. God comes through, he'll reveal to you what we thought we knew was just the beginning of the journey. There's more. He will reveal more to you. God's nature, God's ethics, and God's posture. 
Those are three discoveries. Three discoveries that David had. And it made him burst out into a new song. It made him find his voice. It made him worship. And that leads to the second heading, how to worship. How to worship. Psalm chapter 40, verse 6. Look at this. Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. So David finds his voice in worship. David has this revelation of God, wow, you're bigger than I thought. You come through in a greater way than I ever expected. You surprised me this time. He finds a new song, and the first thing he says with his new song is sacrifice, meal offering, burnt offering, sin offering. What's the common word there? Offering, 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 offering. Offerings you have not required. Offerings you have not required. I mean, my goodness, why do we even send that little red velvet bag around at the end of the service if offerings are no longer required? Offerings you have not required. And I want to say two things to that, two things to what he's saying about the offering. God doesn't desire an offering. The first thing is that uh, it might seem like we don't have to give. We don't have to give an offering. But the first thing I want to say is that doesn't necessarily mean we can take, take, and take. I'm not talking about anybody here. I'm talking about a general posture that all human beings have. I'll start with myself and lead with my weakness. That even myself, if I'm patronizing a business or if I'm, if I'm, uh, you know, if I pay, if I if I pay my once a month fee, I have the sense of entitlement. You know, for example, as I sent my kids and my wife off, we bought our we bought our we had our miles through Spirit Airlines. Don't ask me why. That's another story. And at one point, I was so upset, and I, and I had this, this strong desire to call up a customer representative if I could find that 1-800 number somewhere, and I really wanted to make somebody's day miserable. And I really, I don't care what, where they were in the pecking order of that company, I had this thing inside me that just wanted to say, look, I am a paying customer, and I want to take from you what you're supposed to give from me, and if you are not going to give to me what is rightfully mine, I am going to take from you by ruining your day. And I wanted to take, and take, and take, and that happens in many different cases. There's a, it's just this it's just this sense of entitlement that all people carry and i realized i thought about that it's a good thing i couldn't find that 800 number or i couldn't get through because i would have been a real honorary person to deal with it would have been i would have been difficult i journaled that night and i realized i could have really taken from somebody their happiness for one day i could have really taken from somebody and made them miserable and and that 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 that's in me that selfishness is in me and i realized I realized the next time I get a chance, I want to give to somebody. I want to make somebody's day better. And the chance came because my internet went out this week. And so I had to deal with Comcast. And so um, I, I, I was able to pay it forward. I was able to, you know, by God's grace, be patient with Comcast internet. And so that's the first instruction in how to worship. Let's come with an attitude to give, not to take. Of course, that has financial dimensions. That's not my focus today. I'll focus on that another time. But I'm talking about this general thing. Whether it's church, whether it's marriage. I just read this great quote by Tim Keller. No wonder, you know, 
he's the pastor of a wonderful church in New York City, right? Because he said any marriage where a human being doesn't know how to be selfless and learn how to overcome their selfishness is not really going to get very far. And after almost, I think, 13 years of marriage to my wife, I'm only starting to learn this, that marriage gets better when I am less taking and more giving. Um, more giving. And it applies to church as well. Our posture of giving, financially, but also sometimes a smile is all it takes. And the time that we spend together and the posture, that, that's, that's how we start worshiping. We come to give, not to take. Now, I said there were two things. The second thing I want to say about this verse, that's the first thing, come to give, not to take. But the second thing, it's not so much to say we don't require, we are going to still send the red velvet bag around. But the point is, it's a contrast. What David is saying is not so much that we're not supposed to give offerings at all. He's not trying to abolish the entire Israelite system of, of sacrifices. He's not abolishing it. He's saying the true thing that God's looking for, what God's really looking for, is in verse 7 and 8, which says, Behold, I come. I'm here. It's written about me in the scroll of the book. I delight to do your will. Now, there's a messianic implication in there, which I'll get back to later. But what's being said here is, God, I'm here not just to give an offering, but to do your will. Because your law, your ethics, it's in my heart. It's one thing if I tell my son, don't do that, and he doesn't do it because I told him. It's another thing if he doesn't do it because it's in his heart. He knows instinctually what's right and what's wrong. When God's law is written within your heart, essentially obedience is no longer an issue. It's no longer an issue. It's natural. So that's, that's also what I want to look at. What does it mean to do God's will within my heart? What does that mean literally? Now, if you translate this, and if we do that whole thing, you know, it's always there's something there, right? In the Hebrew, when they talk about feeling something in your heart, it's like feeling it in your abdomen, in your in your intestines in your innards that same emphasis is carried on into the Greek when you read in the New Testament in the New Testament whenever somebody talks about feeling something deeply within they, they use the word splankna which means spleen so I feel love for God or I feel I feel desire or I feel something deeply within myself we say I feel Jesus in my heart for them I say I feel Jesus in my stomach that's what it means to feel something deep within, deep down inside. When my kids were walking out at, at the A terminal with my wife and going through the security checkpoint, and I watched them and watched them, and they were like all the way down there, and my little boy turned around and waved to me, I felt it in my stomach. And the whole drive home from, from Bush International, I was almost crying because usually I'm the one that's going out into the world, flying somewhere, and they're safe at home. Now I'm, going, I'm safe at home, and they're going out there, God knows where, and I felt physically this kind of pit. Do you know what that feels? You know that feeling? Some of you know what that feels like? I felt this, like, like this thing. It, it was physical. I felt it in my stomach. And I think that's what he's talking about. I desire to do your will within my guts. Within my heart, this is how much, God, I desire to follow you. I feel this in my gut. How do you feel something in your gut? I mean, I've grown up in the church. I've been to enough retreats where somebody's having an emotional experience and the person next to them is like, I want what she's having or 
what he's having. Why, how come I don't feel it the way they feel it? I want to feel that too. And then by the end, they, have, they, 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 they try to exert. That's not how it works. To feel God's will in your gut, to feel something strongly in your gut is not a matter of exertion. Hear me carefully here. It's not a matter of exertion. It's a matter of meditation. What is it that our focus is on is the question. And that's the second instruction. Once again, the first instruction on how do we worship? How do we come here Sunday after Sunday? What does it mean? Number one, how to worship is we come to give, not to take. Number two, we worship, we worship, we learn to worship when we change our object of focus. Change my object of focus. Maybe that person that's having that emotional experience there is not because they're exerting themselves emotionally, but because they've had a lot of meditation on what God is doing in their life. They're in a place where they're struggling and finally God's word cracked through and broke through in their lives in a way like a broken vessel that cracked and all of a sudden like perfume all over Jesus, the tears were flowing. That is how we feel something in our guts, by meditating on the right things. We change our object of focus and it gets us into a worshipful state. Change my object of focus. That's why the best praise songs, and I'm thankful that Bobby knows this, the best praise songs are the ones that sing Scripture. That sing Scripture. When I was growing up and I was learning to pray, I used to pray extempore, that they call it, extemporized prayer is uh, improvised it's on the spot prayer and i used to pray jesus just like jesus like just just really just like just just really just and it wasn't getting anywhere and i found at a point that i needed some richer theology some better words and instead of just jesus i began to pray prayers that were written down i mean one of the most beautiful prayers that some many times we'll pray around the dinner table at my house is the lord's prayer give us this day just our daily bread Help us to forgive others as, as you have forgiven us. Lead us not into temptation. I pray these things, and, and I'll tell you, I'm a human being. Lots of times I'll, I'll, I'll be grumpy or I'll, if I'm in a foul mood. And just to get through the day, I'll, I'll have a browser window open on my phone that has a bunch of written set prayers. Long enough, if I had to read through it, it would take a significant amount of time. And so for me, just to get through the day, I say just read all those prayers those written prayers that give me better words, read those by the, end, by, by the time I go to bed. It's a way to change my object of focus. It's a way to change our object of focus. Feeling something in our guts requires a change in meditation. Did you know that worry and fear is meditation as well? Worry and fear is cultivated negative meditation. It is meditation. And actually, meditating on worry and fear doesn't solve it either. It doesn't solve it. It's not worth it. And that's why Jesus says, why worry? Did it, add it, did it add hairs to your head? So, let's continue on verse 9 and 10. We're still under the second heading, how to worship. Verse 9. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, you know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. The great congregation, that phrase is mentioned twice here. This is not private journal writing for David. This is public proclamation. This is something that he is aware is being said 
he's aware that his worship is being done publicly in front or together with other people. There's a place for private worship. But the fact that he's constantly talking about the great congregation, this is somebody that's cognizant of others. Cognizant of others. And so this is the third instruction of how we can worship. How do we worship? The third instruction is be aware of my energy. Be aware of my energy. Because for David, being cognizant that this is happening together with the great congregation, he knows that his energy, whether for good or for ill, has an effect on others. That's mature faith. Immature faith is to come into the great congregation and to take, take, take. And I, I have a... I have a... I have a relative, let's just say that, who I, I, I back when I was growing up, would, would, would sit in church and, you know, and, and, you'd be, and somebody would be like, how are you? And then they'd regret asking. It's like, I've got so many problems in my life and I've, this is my life and just me, 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 and, just, and it's on and on and on. And there's no EQ. There's no other's consciousness. There's no sense that your, you know, your, your, your posture, I mean, yes, come as you are to church, but at the same time, you know you're dumping. You're not sharing. You're just dumping, and you're kind of, you're, you're kind of creating an energy. That, that energy awareness is very important when it comes to worship. I'm not saying fake it. We must be real, but I am saying be aware of the others around you. Be aware of the others around you. This, is, this facilitates worship. This facilitates worship. Others' consciousness that's, that's, that's just the basis. It's charitable living. There are times when I'm standing up here, right here, and, and I'm worshiping, and, and it's tough because I'm in the front row. I, I, I have to set the pace, right? And, and there's some, some times when I can feel somebody right behind me. Sometimes it's Paul. I'll call you out. Sitting right behind me. I don't have to turn around because in his singing and in his voice, in your voice, what I hear I hear worship. I hear passion. I don't have to turn around. I know your hands are lifted up. And I can't tell you how much that amplifies the energy. And that for me, hearing somebody behind me singing, I know your head is lifted up. I can tell the way you, the audio waves, are, your, your voice is going up. I can tell you're, you're doing something like this. And I'll tell you, brother, that takes me to the next level. I feel it. It's contagious. I want to worship even more. The energy is contagious. So be aware of your energy. In worship, it really, really makes this, it really makes the atmosphere. And of course, all throughout these two verses, I can't fail to notice, you've got David talking about, I will not restrain. I have not hidden. I have not concealed. He's throwing off his restraints. You know, and for me, coming from my Asian-American culture, we're, we're, we're very restrained and it takes an additional energy an additional effort sometimes to worship like David let's continue with uh, verse 11 you O Lord you will not withhold your compassion from me your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me there's a presence a prevalence of a pronoun here that David's using your 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 it almost rhymes in the Hebrew. But David says, God, your compassion, your loving kindness. Talk about a focus, a change of focus. 
Talk about a change of focus. He's focused on God's attributes. God's attributes, your compassion, your righteousness, your faithfulness, your salvation, your loving kindness, your truth. All of these words come up and David is constantly focused on God and God's attributes. And this is the fourth and last instruction on how to worship. Assert an attitude of gratitude. Assert an attitude of gratitude. Because when we're sometimes in a tough place and uh, it just actually helps to write it down, your loving kindness, your faithfulness. I am grateful for your kindness to me today. I am grateful for your provision. I am grateful for your friendship. I'm grateful for your love. I'm grateful. Do that. Write that out and see what it does to a mood, to a foul mood. What does an attitude of gratitude do? Does. Did. A certain attitude of gratitude focused on God's attributes. And that has a way of replacing stinking thinking. At this point, the song changes a little bit. And uh, we're going to wrap up now with a third and last heading. The third and last heading is how to be real in worship. If David finds his song, and he's singing a song in major key from verse 12 on, for some reason, we're not sure, some scholars even believe this might be a separate psalm or a separate prayer, and they've added it together. I don't know about that. That's not conclusive. Let's just take this as one unit, one whole. It's possible I mean, that's possible, but it, what, it's, it's just, it seems out of place because all of a sudden David gets a little negative. You hear a major key turn to a minor. And here in verse 12, David says, For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. It's interesting here that David says, My iniquities... Something bad is happening to me. And he makes a connection between what, what bad thing is happening and my, his iniquities. That's not very common. Lots of times we'll say, why is this happening to me? But what David does is he self-reflects. And rather than say, why are you doing this to me, God? Or, 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 or this is happening because of her or because of them or because of him. What he does, and this is the first application on how to be real in worship. Work on my side. Of the road work on my side of the road and by doing so what happens is we recognize that maybe not always but sometimes there might be a connection between my iniquities and the disfortune that's happening to me not always now you gotta we gotta talk about this carefully because you know you've heard the news some somewhere some pastor will say and you know this hurricane happened to a city or this happened to a, a state because of God's judgment on it. I, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that talk. But we can't completely erase the distinction. Sometimes we reap what we sow. Sometimes, unfortunately, our iniquities do have a negative return result. And just being aware of that sometimes is, is just the start of, of, of ethics. Work on my side of the road. Work on what have I done. There are times that I've argued with my wife and I've walked away and I said, I am 100% right this time. She is 110% wrong. 
<laughs> and, and hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, I have a fault. And you'll never get anywhere when you try to tell somebody else they're wrong and this is what they did wrong. But you'll get somewhere if you'll say, I think this is what I did wrong and I'm willing to work on my stuff. Even if it's 5%. <laughs> I'm willing to work on my side of the road. We'll get somewhere. That's the whole thing about the selfishness. If we learn not to be selfish, if we learn to own up to our own sins and our own mistakes, well, God can work with that. And that's why so many people love King David. That's why so many people love King David because he was a king. He was, God, God called him a man after my own heart. And yet, here was somebody that was so imperfect, so vulnerable. It's why I loved Paul, the apostle, when I read the New Testament and it opened up my eyes for the first time and I got it. Because what you have in Paul, the apostle, who wrote all the, so many of the epistles, and this guy was far from perfect. Paul, the apostle, was hot-tempered. He was, he was, I guess you call it a choleric temperament. I don't know if I've got that right. But somebody that, that if he had an issue, there's no tissue, he would express it. And, you know, if God can use somebody like that, wow, maybe just. But the vulnerability about David and somebody like Paul, it, 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 it helps us to see God, work, God can use you. He can use you when we're willing to let him work on us. When we're willing to work on my side, my iniquities, my shortcomings, God will use that. I'm going to wrap up here now with verses 14 to 17. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together. I told you, it gets a little negative, but who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, literally in the Hebrew, Heah, Heah. <laughs> I guess that's what they say. Heah, Heah. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. With this negativity, how do you end this? How do we land this plane? I'm just going to say this. Praise through the pain. That's the last instruction. Praise through the, prain, through the pain. When I was in seminary, they taught us to preach through the pain. Pastors are not insulated from life. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And when they happen, what do you do? I'm not going to show up to work today. So Shelly's going to preach for me. I'm going to go home. I don't feel like preaching today. <laughs> no, they taught us. You must preach. If you're in a tough place, what do you do? Preach through the pain. Why? Because it's therapeutic. And the vulnerability, it will also speak to people. It will speak to people. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of pastors who have gone through tremendous tragedy, losing, you know, you know, I don't want to talk about it, but they'd go through something, but they'd preach through the pain, and people would be so ministered to it, by it. They'd be so ministered by it. Now, we're not all preachers here, but that's still applicable. Praise through the pain. Praise through the pain. I'm not telling you to deny your emotions. I'm not telling you to squish it down or to deny that you're suffering. I know that at least two people in this room are seeing some sadness and some difficulty in their lives. You don't lie. You don't deny it. You don't fake it. But nonetheless, we praise through it. We praise God through it. And by praising God through it, well, let's see what God does. Let's see what Maybe he'll just surprise you.